Okay, this morning uh, we'll be on page 1388 of the Church Bible for our reading this morning. 1388 will be in James chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 7. <clears throat> uh, real quick, I want to continue to remember Amanda Copeland and the Graham family. That's her, was her brother who passed uh, about a week ago. We had a uh, memorial service yesterday, so we just pray the Lord be there with that family. Uh, and her brother's name was Brandon that she lost. The Placencia family is traveling this week uh, to a family reunion. We'll keep them in our prayer for safe travel. And Santos, I believe, either this week or next week, uh, Escobedo will be having his ear surgery. So we'll keep him in our prayers that all that goes well uh, for him, uh, Sandra, and all that. So... Uh, <clears throat> All right, let's get to our verse this morning. It's not very long, but it's, of course, being in James, it's packed full of good stuff. <clears throat> Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up amen Lord uh, he would humble us and always bring us to go through every day with humility before him let us pray Father we bless you for who you are and Lord I pray that we never develop any pride in who we are Lord that we would remember who you are above all that you are God, you are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, to be honored, worthy to be praised. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to walk our days out with a heart of humility, to re remember, no matter what's going on, Lord, that we are yours and you are God, and that we are the ones who need you. Father, we bless you. <clears throat> pray for these needs this morning, that you would give safe travels to the Placentias, and bring them home safely. Bless their fellowship with their family. Help them to be your people uh, while they're fellowshipping with their family. And Lord, with the uh, Graham family, uh, I pray you would just comfort them in ways that only you can. And Lord, that you would lead and that your name be lifted up in that situation, Lord Jesus. And uh, just the power of your spirit would overcome uh, this difficult time. And Lord, we thank you that you're going to be with the doctors as they... Um, work on Santos and try to help his hearing his ears to be healthy Lord that you would be with them you would give them wisdom and that they would feel your presence in that surgery and that Sandra would see that it's not just the doctors it's also your hand of provision and healing in Santos' life and he would see that as well bless you Lord for this scripture Lord that <clears throat> you would give your son for each of us. Lord, help us to continue to remember, Lord, who you are and where that puts us. Lord, I know there's another reference in uh, in this chapter of James of Job. And uh, Father, we we saw in that story that there was a lot of pride in him and his friends. And in the end, Lord, you set that straight. And I pray, God, that we, your people, who are willing to be put in our place and to follow you, uh, Lord, every day, and what you would call us to do, and who you would call us to be. We welcome your presence here today as we come to hear more about your word and who you are. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
wanna look in the eyes of the one I love. Let my soul be reminded of all he's done. I wanna run to the heart of the Holy One. Giving all that I am to this God above. His eyes are like fire. They burn with purity. His eyes are like fire. Consuming me.
take to the nations. Shine your light, let it bring salvation. As I reflect to you all, let them see your faith. I will live. I will live. I will dwell on the mountain. I will drink from the living fountain. I'm alive when I stand in this holy place. Give me faith, I can take to the nations. Shine your light, let it bring salvation. As I reflect to you all, let them see your was rich I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time sin separated the breach was far too wide but from the far side of the chasm you held me in your side so you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I
Good morning. <clears throat> yes, thank you for the blood. <sighs> I'm excited about this message that we have. We're continuing in the uh, book of John. We're going to be on page 1240. and I'm sorry, page 1239. Page 1239. As we're continuing in chapter 12 of John. Last week we talked a little bit about this place where Jesus was um, coming along and the uh, two Greeks came and were wanting to see Jesus. And so they talked to Philip and said, hey, we want to see Jesus. And Philip goes to Jesus, he, he and Andrew go to Jesus and and Jesus comes back with an understanding that not just to see him, but he's looking for someone who would serve him. And he helped to explain that, that being a servant of him would be someone who follows him. And so last week we worked through that understanding and how this brings glory to the Father. And... Um, Today, I want to move forward a little bit from that understanding. And in fact, Jesus helped me with a title for this message today that we're going to start in uh, chapter 12, verse 31. And it would be that to follow me is to keep the Father's commandments. So Jesus called us last time to follow him even unto death. But Jesus is explaining that not only unto death is part of following him, but to keep the Father's commandments. So start with me today in verse 31, and we'll see how he develops this understanding. Verse 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. 
now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus is saying, he, remember he was talking to them about his death would bring glory to the Father. And now he's saying that in this place, when his death comes and when he is lifted up, it will bring judgment, it will bring judgment of this world. Sin will be judged. And it says that the ruler of this world will be cast out. In that place, we would say, well, the ruler of this world, Satan, has not been cast out of this world. And that's true. What Jesus is saying here is that the place in the believer who is a follower, that place, the enemy will be cast out, will no longer have authority. His death is the determining factor that overrides that place. And he, he goes on and explains that. And he says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, this lifted up from the earth is a word that really has several different meanings. First of all, it does mean the crucifixion. In this point in time, when someone was considered lifted up, it meant they were going to be crucified. It meant they were going to be hung on a cross. But lifted up also carries with it this place of being exalted, at being raised high, at being glorified. So I think Jesus is using this in all all the terms in this one place. He's being lifted up. He is going to be crucified. But in this place, he is going to bring glory to the Father. He is uh, being exalted. He is being raised up. There are several times that he uses this term throughout John. And one time he uh, refers to be lifting it up on the cross. At some times he's referring to being raised and lifted up from the grave. It's the same word, being raised from the grave. And then in another time, he's talking about being lifted up in the latter part of John into the heavens in his ascension. And so which point is he talking about here? He is talking about, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I want to say he's talking about all. He's talking about this place where he is going to be crucified. And in that place, he will be exalted. He will be lifted high. But he's also talking about when he's raised from the gra grave and the resurrection. And again, he'll be exalted and lifted high. But I believe he is also talking about the ascension. And again, he will be exalted and lifted high. So I believe he is bringing all of these places to an understanding. And he says this place of being lifted up will draw all people to myself. The interesting place about this is that we see not all people are drawn. So what he is saying is, is that the opportunity for all people to be drawn to him comes through the power that comes through him being lifted up. Now let's go on and see the rest of what he has to say for us. He says, this he said 
signifying by what death he would die. See, he is, he is saying it's going to be by crucifixion. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so they're very confused and, and they don't really understand because the things they've held on to is that the, the Messiah will come and reign forever. And so they're, they're very confused. They have not understood the fullness of that the first time the Messiah comes, that he will come as a servant and he will be sacrificed for the penalty of the sin of the world. They're looking for the Messiah. They continue to look for this king that will take over and rule and that they'll no longer have the troubles of the Roman Empire. But Jesus answers them. So they're saying, who is this? And they're confused with this. It's interesting how Jesus takes this question and he answers it in this way. He's In verse 35, he says, Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you are in the light. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Jesus is helping them to understand this place that while they have him they should put their trust in him remember he has said in passages prior to this that he is the light let's turn with the understanding to find out where what he's meaning by this to psalms 21 it's on page 633 in the church's bible page 633 and jesus will help us understand how he's defining himself and this light remember we always look to the old testament to give us our definition for the understandings in the new testament psalms 21 verse 1 it says the lord is my light and my salvation the lord is my light and my salvation. He is the light unto your path. He is the salvation. He is salvation. So he is saying in this place that he, the one who can bring salvation, is going to be here for a little while. And he's also saying that you should walk in that light, in that understanding, growing into salvation lest darkness overtake you. He's, he's definitely dividing between the light and the darkness. And I was thinking about this place and this light, and there's a couple of places that I want us to look at. This first one is in Matthew 5. It's on page 1, I'm, I'm sorry, 1115. Matthew 5, verse 14. 
And you see right here, Jesus is talking again and teaching, and he says in verse 14, You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill and cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, he's talking about this understanding of walking in this place, of being so connected with him that you reflect who he is, his light. But he's also helping us to understand that that is eternal life, that it, that is salvation, is being in him that he reflects this light through you. I want to look at um, another place that helps us to understand about the darkness. So we see that light is this place of understanding about Jesus and about the uh, salvation understanding. But look at where we get darkness. And we've talked about this before. It comes out of Genesis 1. So it's on page 1. I think it is so important that we have these understandings defined by the biblical terms so we know exactly what Jesus is, is saying in these passages. So in verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And darkness as we remember, was defined here as the night. But it was also something that was very obscure, something that you could not understand exactly. It was almost unintelligible. And, but it was also defined from a root understanding that it means misery, destruction, death, sorrow, and wickedness. So God is telling us in this First, ver, uh, first two verses is that the world, the earth, was without form and was void. That word void is chaos and empty. It had, it had chaos and emptiness. And then it was darkness was on the face of the deep. This misery, destruction, death, sorrow, wickedness. Then it goes on in verse 3 and it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. He divided salvation from the place of death. He divided eternal life with him from the place of destruction and sorrow and death. Jesus is taking them back to that understanding that they would know well. And he was helping them to understand. So when you understand that, let's read 35 again in, in John on page 1239. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness, that death, that destruction, that sorrow overtakes you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. I see that understanding. It's just unintelligible. It's very obscure, but it's full of darkness. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons 
of light. So I see this place, he says, if you believe in the light, if you believe in who he is, if you come to embrace the fullness of what Jesus is and who he is, then you will become sons of light. Verse 37 says, But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. If there's anything that jumped out at me in this scripture as I was reading and studying over the last few days is that this place where he says he did many signs before them and they did not believe. I see this so many times in this world. I see God doing and, and presenting himself in many ways for people to grab hold of who he is. But they don't believe. They don't believe. They don't believe in a way that it changes who they are. Moving on on verse 38, it says that the... Uh, let's read 37 again so it'll go together. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. So Isaiah, the prophet, had prophesied many, many years before Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore... They could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. This is a very troubling understanding. We're kind of confused at what it, what it might be saying here. So I want us to look at this understanding. The first comes out of Isaiah 53.1, so I want to turn to that page. Let me give you a page number. Page 847. Page 847. 53.1, and he writes in this place, Isaiah says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay? And then the next place that he quotes from is Isaiah 6.10 on page 789. So turn back to 789. Isaiah 6. While you're turning there, I want to help you to understand a little bit about what's going on in Isaiah. So the Lord has called Isaiah to come and to prophesy to Judah. And Judah is in a, a terrible place. They are in sin. They are in sexual immorality. They are in idolatry. They have walked far away from God's laws and his truths and his ways. And God has raised up this prophet Isaiah to go to Judah and to bring warning of the destruction that is coming because of the place that they're in. 
And so he comes to this place and he's calling Isaiah. Let's start in verse 1 with chapter 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is having a vision here. And he sees, and he's telling us something very important. First of all, he says, in the king, uh, in the year of the king, Uzziah died. And so King Uzziah has died. King Uzziah was a good king. And the people, including Isaiah, are not sure who's coming on board now, who's going to be the king, and who is going to lead their country. And they're all in turmoil about this. And I've thought even about our country and how much turmoil we get into every time there's election or even while someone is president. And the destruction that it brings to our nation, and I think much of the same destruction was going on in their place. They were not sure how the leader was going to be. But it's interesting because what he sees in this place of not who the next king is going to be, but he sees what? He says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. <sighs> this kind of goes away from our message today, but I was so struck by that. I thought, Lord, could we see that? Instead of focusing on what president is leading our country and who we're going to vote for and who we did vote for and what somebody else did, could we see that the Lord is sitting on the throne no matter what? So I see that he's showing Uzziah that, that no matter that you, King Uzziah has died, the Lord is on the throne. And then it goes and says, and he's high and lifted up. See, this is that place, and it ties right into this place Jesus is talking about, of when he is lifted up. So if we can see him lifted up in this place, high and lifted up, then it says the train of his robe filled the temple. I did a little studying on this train of, the, uh, of his robe, and it filled the temple. I couldn't quite understand what Isaiah was saying to us, but he said... The kings and the royalty had robes, and depending on how great you were, depended on how long your train was of your robe. You know, we see brides, and I, that when I think about a train, that's what I think about is a bride coming in, and the train of her dress, it's the extension of her beauty. It's the extension of God's glory is this train. And it filled the whole temple. Verse 2 says, Above it stood seraphims. Each one was, had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. These seraphims are created beings. God's created beings in the heavenly realm. And I don't know exactly what they look like, but Isaiah is helping us to understand that they have six wings and two of them they use to cover their eyes. 
And I thought about this place where you cannot look upon God. God said, it will kill you. No man can look upon him. And so the seraphims are sitting there in all his glory, and they have their eyes covered just because it is so powerful and so amazing and so magnificent. And then it says, two have covered his, their feet. And I thought, yes, the feet don't need to be in the presence. You know, the feet are dirty. Jesus washed the feet. And so I can see them covering their feet. And then two they use to fly around this magnificent place. Chapter, I mean, verse 3 says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Set apart, separated. No darkness can be there. He's totally set apart. The light that's set apart. God's holiness is totally set apart. That's what they're saying. And verse 4 says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. The post of the door, some places actually use that as the foundational, the foundational post of the temple. And it says they were shaken by his voice. The magnitude of the Lord. Mm. And the whole, whole room was, the whole house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is writing, and he sees this place. He sees the Lord of who he really is. And all of a sudden, he is so aware of who he is as a man. And he says, I'm unclean. And everybody around me is unclean. And he says, for I have seen the King. And I thought, it is true. When we were worshiping today, I thought, yes, Lord, when we come into this place or when we walk daily with you or where we're in prayer with you or where we're studying with you, when we see who you are, it's an overwhelming place that brings us to the recognition and humbles us to who we are. He saw his imperfections and he saw his holiness and he saw his separation from God. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, from the place of sacrifice. He takes this cleansing coal, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. 
So because he had humbled himself before God, God allowed him to be cleansed. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell the people. So Isaiah is overwhelmed in this place of seeing the holiness of God, of seeing God's mercy and his love that would come and set him free from him, him being unclean, from his sin, from his unworthiness. And then he, he is overwhelmed by this place, and God says, who, who can we send? And, and I can just imagine Isaiah in all of this emotional love and stirring that he's seeing from the Lord, and he says, send me. I, you have all of me. Whatever you want, I'm yours. That's what Isaiah is saying. I'll do whatever you need. And I love that because it's not come in a place of, of really him adding everything up to see how it adds together and whether he should decide to be saved, but rather he's in the presence of God. And that is the overwhelming place that humbles him. And God says to him in verse 9, he says, Go and tell the people. So he sends him out to Judah. And he sends them saying this, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. In other words, God is saying, Isaiah, you're going to go on out here to these people and you're going to preach what you've seen and what you understand and what I give you but they're going to keep on hearing but no one's going to understand and they're going to keep on seeing but nobody's going to perceive he's saying they have a stubborn heart and it's not that God doesn't want them to hear and it's not God, that God is not allowing them to hear it's that they are stubborn and they will not hear they are in their sin, and they are happy there. And they're going to choose to not hear. Verse 10 says, Make the heart of this people dull, and their eyes heavy, and shut their, I'm sorry, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. God is so done with where they are because he knows their hearts then I said Lord how long and he answered Isaiah saying how long will I go to a people that won't hear and won't understand and won't change and the Lord answers and he says until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants and the houses are without a man the land is utterly desolate the Lord has removed man far away, and the forever shaken places are many in the midst of the land. He's saying, until I bring enough destruction to get their attention, until the cities are at complete waste, and the houses don't even have a man living in them anymore. Death has brought destruction. 
And he's removed man far from his glory, from his presence. Verse 13 says, but yet a tenth will be in it. It's interesting, the tithe, the tenth, the remnant. And will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree and as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. I looked some of this up to try to understand a little bit, but I love this understanding that he's saying there'll be a remnant. You're going to be talking to lots of people that are not going to understand, that are not going to change, that are not going to turn, that are not going to walk in the ways of the Lord. And I know Isaiah's heart is burdened for this situation. But the Lord helps him to say, but there will be a remnant. What you're doing has a purpose. It doesn't look like it, but it has a purpose. And out of this place, I'll bring a remnant, a tenth. And he says, as a terebinth tree... And as an oak tree, I looked these up, and they said that if you cut these completely down to where there's nothing left, that these two trees will produce new growth out of the stump. So God is using this to help us to see that when the holy seed, Jesus, is the stump, new growth will come. The fulfillment will happen. This is what Jesus is quoting from. So if we turn back to John in chapter 12 on page 1239. I'm sorry, let's turn the page to 1240. As Jesus has come and he has, he has quoted these places, he is saying, this is where, this is where you are today. This is being fulfilled, what Isaiah spoke of. And it's being fulfilled. Starting in verse 39, you see, Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that they should be healed. They wouldn't turn for the fullness of who God is. They would return for the, just the healing. Such a stubborn people, they would not understand and they would not see. Verse 41 says, These things Isaiah, Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. You see, who he saw on the throne was Jesus. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, listen to this. This is what Isaiah was talking about. He's defining it now. John says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. You see, they turned and believed. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So they turned and believed. But they did not understand. 
They did not hear and they did not see. So they were, it goes on to say, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. This place of confess, we studied about this several several weeks ago. It's a place of, of making public declaration, and it comes out of a place in John, I'm sorry, in Romans 10. Let's look at Romans 10. Let me give you a page number. Uh, page 1303, Romans 10, verse 9. We studied on this when we talked about baptism, and, and each time we talk about baptism, I think we come to this scripture. I think it's so powerful. Romans 10, page 1303. Verse 9 says it, that if you confess with your mouth that, Lord Je- that the Lord Jesus and believe your heart in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. But this confess means to publicly declare it means to say the same thing as to come into total agreement with him. But it also goes on that this total agreement with his teaching and his ways of life and, and who he is will reflect in your life. It won't be a place of just confessing with your mouth, but it will be a place of moving into the place of believing that will change you. And then in verse 10 it says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The confession will change you in a way that it brings you into salvation. It won't be a place where the Pharisees were, where they came and saw but would not stand on who he was. Their life didn't reflect it. Verse 44 says, Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Jesus is connecting the oneness between him and the Father. He says, Unless you... If you see me, you've seen the Father. And he says, he's the one that sent me. He says, I have come, in verse um, 46, I have come as a light unto the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. This is an interesting place. This word right here, Jesus is saying that uh, in verse 46, he says, I've come as a light into the world. Anyone that believes in me should not abide in darkness. He's saying, if you see who I am in a way that it changes your light, your life, you won't abide in darkness anymore. You will not be a part of darkness. It will be set, you'll be separated from it. 
But then he goes on to say in 47, he says, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, this is a different word. <laughs> I just love that God would help us to see this. This word actually means to keep and to guard. Daniel's taught us about that word in the Hebrew, to keep and to guard the commandments. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying right here, is that if anyone hears my words and does not keep and guard my commandments, he says, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken will judge him in the last days. He is saying, if you don't keep my commandments and guard my commandments, they will come back and judge you. I'm not judging you. God's word, his laws, his truths, those will judge you in the last day verse 49 says for I have not spoken on my own authority but the father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak you see he's in oneness with the father and I know that his commandment is everlasting life therefore whatever I speak just as the father has told me so I speak he is connecting this place with he and the Father. They're in one. He starts that very early in verse 44. And he says, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one. And he's saying because of that, you have to guard this place of, of God's commandments. And he comes on down. He says, because they have everlasting life in them. In other words, you can't come and believe in a way that you just say, I believe in Jesus. That's what the Pharisees were doing is they saw some things and they believed in some things, but they wouldn't be willing to come in a place of truly speaking it out or their lives being changed because they would be fearful that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. Or maybe your friends wouldn't love you anymore. Or maybe somebody else in your family would be upset with you because you were bold in the places of following Jesus. He's saying you can't be like that. You have to come and you have to guard these places so that your life reflects it. And if your life reflects it, then these commandments will be a part of your life. Turn with me to John, 1 John let me think, let me see where that is. 1 John 1, and it's going to be on page 13, 1398. This is a place that we've seen many times, and it says so clearly. Let's start in verse 6. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, with Jesus, and walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
if you look right across in the next column, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We walk in darkness and say we have fellowship with Jesus. We do not practice the truth. Verse 4 in in chapter 2 says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Our lives have to reflect the places that we claim to see Jesus. James, on page 1386... James 1, verse 22. Bill, I loved that you were reading in James today. Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. He's saying, if you are are walking in the commandments of Jesus, your life will reflect those places. You won't just be one that hears the word and it doesn't change your life. Verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. This is a powerful understanding that I think Jesus was helping us to see today through the prophet Isaiah. It's a challenging place because I see that Jesus was saying the same thing that Isaiah was seeing to be true, and that is that As Jesus came and brought God's word, many, many would hear the words, but they would not understand. They would see, but they would not perceive. Their lives would not be changed. It's a very challenging place to recognize that there's only a remnant that will truly turn and have their lives forever changed. Paul said it so well in 1 Corinthians, he said, be imitators of me just as I imitate Christ. I love that place. He was confident of his commitment to Jesus that he would say to someone else, imitate me because I'm going to be imitating Christ. I think that's a challenging place for each one of us as we come today to be as Isaiah was, look fully in the eyes of Jesus that he might show us anything that is unclean, that we might be changed and ready to be used as a servant of the Most High. Thank you. If you'll stand with me.
troubled soul All the broken pieces that you hold Turn them over, give them up And then watch what Jesus does Oh heavy heart, oh heavy Of his glory. 